0: How many of you like to watch those shows where they go into the old buildings and and just totally redo them? Anybody like those kind of shows? There's 600 of them, so I can't say, you know, what name it is now because it seems like everybody's doing that. But it's always funny to me to think about it in this way. Somebody built that building. Sorry, if I move this way, maybe. That's been a fit we've been having since we've been back in here, just to let you know. And we are trying to fix it. So if I move and you can't hear me, then I'll just say it again and it'll be okay. We are highly aware of it, and Dean's head turns red every time it happens if you want to turn around and look at him. It's kind of fun um, on that. Um, But here's what's funny to me about those shows, is that when the building was built, it was built exactly the way the person thought it needed to be built. And it met the needs exactly that needed to be met at the point in time it was built. And then what's funny is you watch people walk into it and they go, oh my goodness, this just is no good. We're going to knock this wall out. And we're going to do this. How did anybody ever do this? How'd they ever live in this? And you just think, well, hold on a minute. Somebody built that house and they thought it was great and they thought it was wonderful. And then you know what's going to happen? 20 years from now, somebody's going to walk into that same house and go, oh my goodness, what did somebody do with this? And they're probably going to put it back like it was. Or I'm just kidding. It's just one of those things. It always seems to be, to be changing. And you know, the truth is, I'm gonna try this right over here. The truth is for us, it's just gonna be fun today now, okay? Truth is for us is that when we follow Jesus and he offers us new life, he comes in and he starts knocking out walls and he starts readjusting things and he tries to make things in our life as they are supposed to be, as he originally designed them to be. But yet we've put things into our life, we've put things into our mind, and things have happened in our life that have caused our life to not be exactly like it should be. And so we need to understand that when God gives us his word and he calls us to new life, then the things that he starts teaching us are the things that we're supposed to start doing. We may run up against some of those things that we've built and put into our life. And we're always gonna run into those things and then you're gonna have to question, is it time to move this out of the way and make more room for what God wants me to do? Or am I just gonna kinda live with this thing here in my life? I mean, you really need to think about that because I'm convinced that in my lifetime, As I was brought up in church and as I've been working in churches since I was 16, there's something that that is kind of frightening, to be honest, that's happened in churches. And if you've been around me a little bit, perhaps you've heard me say this before, but I'll say it in a little different way today, is that somehow in our culture, people have become convinced that their Christian faith is just a matter of belief, but not necessarily a matter of action. And it's a frightening thing. Because it is important to believe in Jesus Christ. But if you want to experience the new life he has, then you actually have to do something. You have to put it into practice. You have to start trying to knock out some walls, change some things, rearrange some things in your life. Now, I'm going to help us this morning um, to just go ahead and get started on what we're gonna be talking about today. And we're gonna have a little repeat after me here as we start, y'all ready? Y'all up for this? You awake? Okay, three little words, you just repeat after me. I was wrong. Some of you didn't repeat after me. Some of you don't have a whole lot of uh, excitement about repeating those words. But hear me on this, the foundation of the Christian belief is that Jesus Christ came and sacrificed on the cross to forgive us of our sins, which means that we have done something wrong in which we need to be forgiven of, and then he leads us to new life. And I don't know about you, but I lived a lot of years in the old life struggling with that and I have to think that there are things in my mind and in my heart that are in continual need of being replaced with the truth of God's word and when I run up against those things I just need to say those three little words I was wrong God you are right and so let's fix this amen let's go home right I'm just kidding but it's, it, I wish it were just that simple. We struggle with that. But here's what we need to understand. You need to ask a question as we begin to look at this: Is my faith Is my faith about my condition or my character? Ask yourself that question. What do you, what do you mean, pastor by that? Well, is faith something that's circumstantial, things that happen around you? Is it about just the condition? If all is good in my life, then my faith is good. If things are bad in my life, then my faith is bad. And sometimes we even flip that around. We think, well, if I'm bad, then my faith is bad. Or if I'm good, then my faith is better. And and nowhere in Scripture does it say that. In Scripture, it says, while we were still sinners, so our condition was very bad, Christ died for us. And so... God, as he leads you to follow his words, hear me on this. He's not trying to change your condition. He's not trying to alter your behavior. He's trying to give you a new life and new character. And he wants to change you from the inside out. And the reason I say all that this morning to set this up is because where we land today in the Beatitudes is the second one. It's Matthew chapter 5, verse 4. A short verse, but a very profound verse. In Jesus speaking, he says these words, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are those who mourn. Now, at first glance, that obviously looks like well, if there's someone in here that's experiencing a loss or a difficulty, then God's going to be with that person. He's going to comfort them. He's going to come beside them, and that is true. Also, at first glance, there may be many of us in this room that would look at that verse and go, that's not for me right now. I'm, things are okay. I'm good. You know, I, I, Maybe I've been through some hard times, but I'm not going through a difficult time right now. Well, I would tell you that when you, again, start to look at the Beatitudes in totality, not just one at a time. I know I'm preaching them one at a time, but I'm telling you to go back and remember that they're part of a whole in this thing. Last week, what we saw was blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of God is theirs, and poor in spirit meaning what? Poor in spirit meaning the people who realize that they have nothing in their own spirit enough to connect them and make things right with God. They are poor in spirit, and so who would that be? All of us are poor in spirit. And when we come to that realization that there's not enough inside of me to make things right with God, I am poor in spirit. When Jesus says, when we come to that realization that we don't have it, but he does, then the kingdom of God is theirs. And then if you go right here to this next one, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. Well, what are they mourning about? They're mourning about their condition. That in and of themselves, there is not enough. There's nothing that they can do. They understand that they have sinned short and fallen short of the glory of God, okay? They understand that there's nothing in themselves, and so it leaves them to a, into a position that just says, I'm in mourning over this. I am broken over my sinfulness. God has given me everything, and I took it, and I wasted it, and it breaks my heart that I have broken the heart of God, and now I am in mourning over this we should be broken by our sinfulness and here's the dangerous thing look at our country we are not broken by our sinfulness we are angry people because of what they do but very rarely do we look in the mirror and go well perhaps i should stop doing these things Perhaps my house needs to be rearranged. Perhaps I'm the one that needs to reach out a hand and extend it to someone else and find middle ground. Perhaps I'm the one that needs to demonstrate love. No, it is an awful, awful place to be right now, watching the news, browsing social media, full of hate, sarcasm, and pointing fingers all over the place, and Christians right there in the middle of it. So let's not let us off the hook on this. We should be in mourning first of all, about our own brokenness and sinfulness. And then the more that we come to realize the great grace that we sing about this morning, that we need from the Lord, we realize that it's been poured out on us, then we're gonna be much more likely to pour that out on other people and actually be able to do something about the condition of our hearts and the condition of the world that we live in. God desires for our character to be right. Think about this, isn't it interesting that Jesus would say, blessed are those who mourn because those who mourn are in a difficult situation, right? They're hurting, they're broken. If you had full reign over your life, now let's be honest for just a minute. If you had full reign over your life, I thought about this this week, there's not a person in this room. Now you might think you would, you can argue with me later and I'll just disagree with you and we'll all go to lunch. That's fine, you're buying, okay, all right. But none of us would choose to insert difficulty in our own life if we had full control. None of us would be looking at our life going, you know what, probably right about here, I need to have a tragic loss in my life because that will really shape my character. There's not a person in here who's going to do that to themselves. We all have this idea that our life is supposed to be this condition of happiness and joy all the time. But Jesus actually writes something counterintuitive. He says, blessed are those who mourn. They're broken because the people who are broken are finally willing to do something about it. And so their condition can be taken care of. Not one of us would say, hmm, I'm gonna go through this incredibly difficult situation because ultimately it will lead me to be a stronger person. Let me experience deep grief so that I can understand Great joy. Not one of us would do that, but watch this. How many of you have walked through something like that and would agree that those difficult circumstances have shaped you into being a better person? Okay, I think Jesus knows what he's talking about. And I think that when we realize that we need to be at a place where we first of all look at our own condition and our own sinfulness and we do everything that we deal with that we can to deal with that first then we're able to look at the situations around us and actually do something about it other than be another voice of complaining and sarcasm in an already deep pond of that now hear me on this I say it a lot I'm going to say it again following Jesus is counterintuitive following Jesus is counterintuitive I honestly wish Somebody would have taught me that growing up. I think the reason I say it so much as an adult is I'm trying to go back and make up for all the years of not understanding that. Following Jesus is counterintuitive because when you grow up in a certain culture or in a certain way or in in a certain place, you learn to take on culture and ways and place and behavior and these type of things. Now, again, I'm not making a political statement. I'm not saying anything. I'm just gonna talk about the current situation and say it would make sense that we would be able to honestly look another person no matter who they are and go I don't understand what it's like to be you that's just period and that would make perfect sense because nobody understands what it's like to be me and so we need to understand that when we start to follow Jesus and he starts to break down walls in our life and he starts to shape ourselves in a new way there's going to be some times that we go this doesn't make sense God because everything in me wants to follow this path but you're telling me to go over here But here's what we need to understand is that we flip all the way back over to the beginning of this book and we see that who gave us life in the first place, it's God. God's the one who gave us life. He's the one that designed it. He's the one that put us here. And it's sin that has destroyed the type of life that God wants for us. And oftentimes, instead of honestly being able to be a person that says, I was wrong, God is right, I need to change my heart. We just try to put lipstick on the pig and walk around going, isn't this great? This is awesome right here. I'm just kind of making this look good. We we try to settle for dysfunction and just get happy and comfortable in our dysfunction instead of doing the work it takes to find the life that God wants for us. And here's why. I love y'all. You know that, by the way. I'm sorry. I should have told you we're steel-toed shoes today. But here's why we don't wanna do that is because we don't like to look in the mirror and first say, you know who the problem is in this? Oh, it's me. Because we've been brought up in a culture that loves to point the finger at somebody else as being the problem. And until we're first willing to humbly go, you know what, I'm the problem. I'm gonna deal with me. And as God deals with me, I'm gonna do the best that I can to follow him with what he wants me to do. And then all these other things will take care of themselves. You see, if you follow the Beatitudes right through the list, you're going to see that there's a pattern that begins to change our perspective on life. In fact, you can see that they begin to break down our false ideas, and then they put us on a path to new life. That's why I said you have to look at them as a whole, even though I'm preaching them one at a time. Okay? And if you don't believe me that, that following Jesus is counterintuitive, let me just read Luke 6, 27, starting there. But I say to you, listen, Love your enemies and do what is good to those who hate you. That's exactly what I want to do every day. Bless those who curse you and pray for those who mistreat you. Well, obviously. If anyone hits you in the cheek, offer the other cheek also. And if anyone takes away your coat, don't hold back your shirt either. Give to everyone who asks you, and from someone who takes your things, don't ask for them back. Just as you want others to do for you, do the same for them. Now that's four verses. That's not even the entirety of scripture. Argue with me that following Jesus is counterintuitive. You can't, but so here's where it boils down to. It's not what you believe. It's who you trust. I'm gonna say that again. It's not what you believe that matters. It's who you trust that matters. If you trust yourself, your own intuition, your own strength, your own abilities, then you're going to ignore when Jesus comes to a place in your life and says, I can offer you a better life if you'll just knock this wall down and do this thing differently. If you think, no, God, I got this, then you're just going to kind of walk away from the life that he has for you. And you're going to miss out on that. But if you truly believe that God is the one who can give you the best life, then whenever he says, hey, we're going to take stuff out of your life right here, we're going to adjust this, we're going to put something in right over here, you're going to go, okay, God, I was wrong, you're right, let's get, let's get on this. And it doesn't matter if he's talking about a relationship. It doesn't matter if he's talking about your bank account. It doesn't matter if he's talking about your job. It doesn't matter if he's talking about your house. It doesn't matter if he's talking about someone you disagree with. You're going to immediately say, if you trust the Lord with all your heart, okay, God, I will do that. Hear me. I didn't say it was easy. But I did say it was worth it. Because God's trying to lead us to life. And sometimes it's the hardest thing that we'll do is to trust him. And that's why it's not just what you believe, it's what you do. You see, last week, when we were looking at Jesus saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, the poor in spirit are the ones who realize they don't have anything in and of themselves. No righteousness, no works, nothing on their own. They're barren and empty before God. They are spiritually bankrupt. They have nothing. And so now Jesus tells us that those who mourn are actually the ones who will be blessed as well. And and so, like I said, don't look at these as just one thing, uh, one, uh, one separate thing, each one of them, but look at it as a whole. Because what he's saying to us so far is that bankruptcy leads to brokenness. That would be true in real life as well, so it makes sense. Bankruptcy is gonna lead us to brokenness. Brokenness is gonna lead us to mourning. When we realize that I've got nothing with God and, and then I'm broken about that, then I'm in mourning over my sin, now I go, whew, what do I do? Again, I know some of you are thinking, wow, thank you, Pastor, for those encouraging words today. I'm so glad I got up and came in. But like I've already said, not one of us would navigate our times, our life to a time of stress, difficulty, and pain. But what Jesus is pointing out is that those who will recognize it realize that we already have. Even though we didn't mean to, we've already navigated our life there. Because God came to give us fullness of life, life abundant. He gave us life as it's supposed to be. We're the ones who's navigated it through the difficulty and the pain. He's the one who's willing to lead us out of that if we'll trust and follow him. So the question for all of us today is this. What are we going to do about it? Do you realize, do you own for yourself, not for someone else, that you are spiritually bankrupt without Jesus? And are you broken Over the things that break the heart of God. Do those things bother you? You see, a time of mourning also leads to a time of change. We mourn and we hurt because reality sets in. Let me just say that. I have mourned deeply. I have lost. I probably spent 35 years on this earth without having to mourn much. I'll be honest with you about that. Just kind of tootling along through life thinking everything was good. And I think God put it all in one year. It was just kind of like, we're just going to get all this caught up for you. So I've been in some dark places and some hurtful places. But here's what I realize. You go to those places, and the brokenness that you come to actually leads you to change. And that change will lead you to life if you will follow Christ through it. And more specifically, what Jesus is saying is that those who are broken over their sinfulness and the sinfulness of the world will find comfort in following Jesus because in following Jesus, they find forgiveness. They find love. They find hope. And they find new life. This is all over Scripture. The prophet Isaiah wrote in the Old Testament, all of us have become like something unclean and all of our righteous acts are like a polluted garment. All of us wither like a leaf, and our iniquities carry us away like the wind. He realized the brokenness of his situation. The psalmist, though, writes this as well, Psalm 34, the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their cry for help. Now, if you don't mind, I'm going to continue in my meddling sermon this morning, and I'm going to ask you a question. Am I a mourner or a complainer? Because there's a difference. Do I mourn or do I complain? Mourning is introspective. It looks inside and it says, I need to change. I need, I need to realize how serious this situation is, and, and I need to figure out what I can do about it. Complaining, That's external. It's their fault. They did this. This happened to me. Mourning is longing to change my heart. Complaining is wanting someone else to change their behavior. Mourning is seeing the brokenness of others and feeling compassion. And hear me on this one. Complaining is seeing the brokenness of others and feeling nothing. I was that person, so if you're kind of worried about that, I'll just be the first person to admit I, I, I was that person. I could look at the hurt of other people and even as a Christian go, Jesus loves you, and walk off and just not be moved until God put me through some things that changed my heart. And so I know you may sit here today going, this is kind of a dark sermon, but it's really not because Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. So there's blessings and comforts surrounding the morning. I'm just trying to get us to a place where we don't try to navigate around all the difficulties in our life, but sometimes as a friend of mine, as a friend of mine told me sometimes, he goes, sometimes, Lindell, it's just best to just like get in it and just wallow around in it and let it get all over you and just get, it, just get it everywhere because then it just won't hit you in little places all over the place all the time. Just get in it and realize that this is something that I need to deal with because I'm broken and I need to change. And so not only, though, will those who mourn be comforted, here's an awesome thing that happens, they will also be a comfort Maybe not simultaneously, but eventually God will use them to make a difference. I've said this before, when I go through a difficult time in my life, I don't go, who do I know who's never had any problems? That's not the first person I look for. If I'm going through a difficult thing, I go, do I know anybody that's been through this because I need help? Think about that. And so when you learn to trust God through the dark times, then you are a person who can look at someone else and look them in the eye and say with full belief that God will see you through this. You can trust him. You will find comfort in him. But we have to own the fact that it starts right here. It doesn't start out there. It starts inside us. 2 Corinthians, Paul writes these words in chapter 7. For godly grief, or godly mourning, godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. But worldly grief produces death. What does he mean on that? Godly grief leads us to repentance. When we look in the mirror and realize the things that we need to adjust and change in our life, then God will guide us through that and lead us to repentance. And we will have salvation and no regrets. It's it's not a shallow grief that we run through. It is a true and sincere grief. And I thought about this a lot this week as I was getting ready to prepare this message. I want you to hear, blessed are those who mourn for they'll be comforted. The mourning is sandwiched between blessings and comfort. Hear that again. But you got to go through that. You have to be in that state to realize how great the blessings are and how sweet the comfort is. you know how hard it is to comfort someone who doesn't think they need to be comforted? I mean, think about that. I believe in our culture it's the number one difficulty in reaching people for Christ is because people don't think they need anything. And if they do think they need something, they're mad at the government didn't give it to them. And so that's where they kind of live, expecting something from someone else as opposed to living in a place where they realize that they can find comfort in Christ and what they actually need comes from him. And then all this other stuff is circumstantial. So here's where I'm trying to go with this this morning. And I especially want to talk for just a second for all the Christ followers who are listening to this, whether it be online or whether you're here in the room. I just want to make a statement. And I want to ask you just to contemplate this statement this week because I think it will truly help us navigate situations that we'll face in this world my faith will be as strong as my repentance is deep my faith will be as strong as my repentance is deep you know we all like to come to church sometimes and put on our best and sometimes we try to convince everything that everybody that everybody's everything's okay but the truth is we're at church because all of us realize a great need that we have for a Savior. And so if we just kind of own that a little bit more, <laughs> I think other people would be willing as well to see how they have a strong faith, not because they're perfect, but because they have a great realization of their need for a Savior. And repentance, as, as Paul wrote, godly grief produces repentance. It doesn't produce bad feelings. It doesn't produce you know sorrow. It produces repentance. Godly Grief, godly mourning, leads us to a place that says, I was wrong, I want to change. I was wrong, God, you were right, help me change. Repentance means I used to go this way, now I'm going this way, because God has showed me a new way. One of my favorite passages in all of scripture, and this is what I'm gonna close with, it's a psalm that David wrote after his sin was placed in front of him, And he he couldn't do anything other than own the fact that he had sinned, and he had sinned greatly before the Lord. A very powerful psalm, Psalm 51. And as we wrap up this morning, let me read this for you. Psalm 51, these are David's words as he repents and realizes the depth of his brokenness. Be gracious to me, God, according to your faithful love. According to your abundant compassion, blot out my rebellion. Completely wash away my guilt and cleanse me from my sin. For I am conscious of my rebellion and my sin is always before me. Against you and you alone I have sinned. And done this evil in your sight. So you're right when you pass sentence. And you are blameless when you judge. Indeed, I was guilty when I was born. I was sinful when my mother conceived me. Surely you desire integrity in the inner self. And you teach me wisdom deep within. Purify me with hyssop and I will be clean. "'Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. "'Let me hear joy and gladness. "'Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. "'Turn your face away from my sins "'and blot out all my guilt. "'God, create a clean heart for me "'and renew a steadfast spirit within me. "'Do not banish me from your presence "'or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore the joy of my salvation to me and sustain me by giving me a willing spirit. Then I will teach the rebellious your ways, and sinners will return to you from the guilt of bloodshed, God. God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not want a sacrifice, or I would give it. You are not pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifice, pleasing to God, is a broken spirit. You will not despise a broken and humbled heart, God. In your good pleasure, cause Zion to prosper. Build the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in righteous sacrifices, whole burnt offerings, and then bulls will be offered on your altar. David found him at a place where he realized, God, it's me against you. You're right, and I'm wrong. And God, if you'll restore me, then everything else will fall into place after that. I just want to invite you to bow your heads this morning.